Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. our 18-year anniversary today. Happy birthday, y'all. That's a long time. Like, it's getting to be, like, it's getting to be where it's been a minute. Like, that's really kind of, kind of a long time. So we're, we're celebrating. We want to make too big of a deal out of it. Uh, but I mean, the Blue Angels came, so that felt, I appreciated that. I thought it was a bit much, but we'll take it. Um, lots of good stuff going on. And then uh, also just a couple sort of things that we, we hopefully figured out on the way in. Um, please, please take a cupcake because it's, it's cake. It's a birthday. We eat cake um, on your way in and on your way out. So that's totally fine. Please do that. There's plenty. Um, and then also, uh, you guys probably saw this, but with, there's all this swag though. Swag stands for stuff we all get, by the way. There was a swag everywhere. Um, and we thought, hey, it's our anniversary. We could like give everybody swag. What should we make? You know, what new thing could we do? And we're like, how about this? We're about to move. We need to clear this place out. Um, how about we give all the, uh, all the swag away that like we haven't been able to give away over the years. Okay. So it's just out there. Are we giving away 15 year anniversary t-shirts on our 18 year anniversary? Yes, we are. <laughs> They're free. The price is right. And by the way, if you're like, wow, there are, they have eight shirts in my size, it would be wrong to take all eight. It would be right <laughs> to take all eight. You could take 10. Outfit your whole family, please. It's just less that we have to move and, and bless some strangers. I don't know. Um, grab a coffee cup, um, all that stuff. So don't be shy at all. And if, the, if it's gone for the 1130 service, then too bad. I love them. I love them. There'll be plenty. Don't worry. It's fine. Uh, so please do that. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, also, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done this already, just because it's kind of new, I want to mention our app that we have. Um, and you do not go to the app store and search for Maryville Vineyard, which I know would make sense. Instead, you go to the app store and search Church Center. You download that app, and from there you follow prompts to get specifically to the Maryville Vineyard app. So um, you, it's pretty clear once you get it, but you gotta, you got to get the right one in the first place, which is Church Center on uh, whatever app store you use. And it's just that's really nice. It's like this seamless uh, way to communicate lots of information, and it's very, very helpful. So I want to encourage you. Uh, to do that, and then, um, oh, that's it. I'm through the list. Awesome. Let's uh, say a prayer, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Uh, Lord, we welcome your presence into this place. Uh, we acknowledge that you're here, and we humbly ask you to come even closer. You meet with us corporately as we worship. You're here with us. You come. You're here. Um, Lord, would you make us personally attuned to your presence now? Aware of your presence, not just with us collectively, but with each of us individually. Would you make us aware to really internalize um, that it is sacred, it is precious to gather with, with the saints in your presence. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, uplift us. We want to hear what you have for us. 
And Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, 18 years now, guys. That's a lot. Um, 18 years, 18 times now, I have sat down to prepare a vineyard anniversary message, and it goes the same way every time. I think and reflect for about 10 seconds, and then I am just flooded with a sense of gratitude. I'm blown away by the faithfulness of God. Just again and again, he's been so faithful. He has been so, so faithful. So um, today, I want to talk about the faithfulness of God. And um, a little bit different, though, I don't want to focus specifically about the faithfulness of God to our church, although I could absolutely give that sermon, and it would be a fun one. Um, but instead, I want to make it personal. I want each of us to consider together the faithfulness of God to us as, as individuals, to every single one of us. I kind of want our birthday to be about you, okay? And I feel like I learned that from Jesus, because on his birthday, we all get presents, you know, and so I'm kind of hoping on our birthday, we get some swag, and then hopefully we hear from the Lord along the way. That's, that's the idea. Um, in order to do that, weirdly, I want to I take some time and talk about Dothan. So maybe you're familiar with Dothan. Uh, I'm not talking about the lovely little coastal city that you may have driven through on your way to the Alabama shores. I see some heads nodding, so you've, some of you have taken that trip. Not talking about that one, although i got a friend there. I should probably send him this message. Um, I'm talking about Dothan in the Bible. Uh, Dothan is a little city in central Israel. Uh, it means two wells. It's still there today, it's still called Dothan, and there's still the same two wells, which is pretty cool. Thousands now, thousands of years later, because the two stories we're going to look at here are from early in uh, the nation's history. So we're going back several thousand years, and yet it's still there. Um, Dothan shows up only two times in the Bible, two, and both in sort of larger stories. That, and we're actually going to read both of them. And I'm going to read larger chunks of text than I usually do, but we're going we're to do that. And then we're going to kind of compare and contrast between the two. So the first one is in Genesis chapter 37. Um, if you're a church kid, you know that that's the beginning of the story of Joseph, which is one of the longest, you know, personal narrative stories they have anywhere in the Bible. It's all the way from Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50. That's a big chunk. And we're at the beginning of that story where we're going to jump in. Just a little bit of background. Uh, Joseph was one of 12 brothers he was the 11th in the birth order. Like if you're intrigued by or like research birth order, like none of the charts go that far to the 11th son. <laughs> um, but that's, that's where he was. And uh, Joseph was by far daddy's favorite. And um, if you're a parent or even if you're not a parent, you know that that's, you're not supposed to have favorites. And if you do have favorites, you're not supposed to tell anybody. But... Joseph's father, Jacob, did. He was not shy about that, and everybody kind of knew Joseph was the favored son, and he got, you may have heard of this, this amazing Technicolor dream coat that made him feel very, very special, and it was very expensive. His brothers were very jealous about that, and understandably so, and then um, Joseph kept having these dreams, and in these dreams, essentially the obvious thing that was happening, the obvious interpretation of those dreams is that all of his brothers and even his parents were bowing before him as if before a king. And so when he told them those dreams, that went over like a lead balloon around their oversized breakfast table, as you might imagine. That did not go well at all. And that's the context we're jumping in on. So, Genesis 37. We'll start in verse 14. Jacob speaking to Joseph. 
He says, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So the older brothers are off keeping the flock. And he sends Joseph, go check on them. So Jacob sent, sent him, Joseph, on his way. And he traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, probably the coat, and they approached him, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. So I may have understated the tension between the brothers and Joseph. It's real bad. Verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns. Now, if you don't know what a cistern is, it's kind of like a well. A well is a source of water. A cistern is a place to store water. Um, and so at the time, cisterns and wells actually looked pretty similar. So if you picture a well, you're pretty close, but it's, it's not a source of water. It's a place to store it. So let's, let's uh, kill him, throw him in a cistern. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. All right, verse 21. But Reuben heard of their scheme. He came to Joseph's rescue. He said, let's not kill him. Uh, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him, as if that would make them innocent. But that's the idea. Reuben was, interesting here, little note, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So he's trying to play a little game here. Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So that's a good news, bad news situation. Good news, he didn't drown. Bad news, he landed with a thud. Verse 25. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to down to Egypt. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime, and that's an inconvenience. Verse 27, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. I would argue that's still hurtful, but instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, which is very moving, very moving. Um, and his brothers agreed. Verse 28, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him up out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Verse 29, one last verse, sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. So apparently he wasn't a part of the last decision that happened. He came to get Joseph. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Now, the reason why I added the part there, uh, or included the part there about uh, Reuben is just as a quick side note here, it's not what the sermon's about at all, but my dad told me this story when I was like 10 years old, like as a kid, and he focused on Reuben in particular, and he used it as a warning against compromise. Like, I'm going to try to fit in with everybody, but really I'm going to compromise and try to do the right thing without really doing the right thing, but I'm not going to have the courage to really stand up for the right thing. 
And he used that to warn me about the danger of compromise, especially when you're trying to fit in. And I'm telling you, that was 30 years ago. I still think about it all the time. The only reason why I said that is I just want to encourage you to read the Bible with your kids, help them understand it, challenge them, and then you can haunt them in their 40s because that's (laughs) what happened to me. Um, So anyway, here's the summary. Joseph goes to Dothan. His brothers throw him in a pit. And then they sell him into slavery. So not great. Not a good outcome in Dothan. Now, we're going to fast forward historically several hundred years later, but still very early um, in the biblical narrative. Second Kings chapter 6 is the other place we find Dothan. You can read along. This is NLT today, by the way, but again, it'll be on the screen. No setup for this one. We're going to jump right in. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. So they're, they're strategizing, game planning together. They would set the plan. Verse 9, but immediately Elisha, the man of God, he was the prophet of God at the time, he would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. So just in case you're not following, I know it's a lot of reading, kind of hard to stay with me, but the Israelites were at war with the Arameans, and every time the king of Aram made a plan to attack the Israelites, God told Elisha what was going to happen. Elisha told the king, and so the people of Israel just never went there, and the plans never worked. Pretty cool. Verse 11, the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Which is a fair question to ask. They've got a mole, right? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom, which I bet made him very uncomfortable. Verse 13, go and find out where he is, the king commanded so I can send troops to seize seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. All right, let's go to Dothan and let's get Elisha put an end to this. Verse 14. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Big army, lots of chariots and horses. When the servant of the man of God, so this is like Elisha's apprentice, he got up early the next morning, he went outside, there were troops, there were horses, There were chariots everywhere, and he panicked. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha said, for there are more on our side than on theirs. At which point the young man became even more afraid because he thinks the old guy's lost it. That's probably what he concluded, like there's nobody, it's just us, it's just us. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So there was this massive, invisible, angelic army, far greater than the Arameans, and they had like chariots of fire and stuff and angels, which is way more intimidating, and they're all there to protect Elisha and the people of God. And Elisha could see it, the young apprentice could not see it, but then he was allowed to see it, and then when he did see it, he was a lot less worried. Let's back to the story, verse 18. 
as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please make them blind. I think it's great that he said please. Just blind this entire army of people, like boom. So the Lord struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. He just asked, and he made the whole army blind. That's remarkable. Verse 19, then Elisha went out and told them, Hey, you've come the wrong way. Like, I hear you're looking for this guy named Elisha. You're in the wrong, it's Elisha saying it. You're in the wrong place. Uh, follow me. I will take you to the man that you're looking for, which was him. Um, and he led them to the city of Samaria. And we know this from another place. Samaria is where the entire army of Israel was. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, now open, doesn't even say please this time. Now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And what it doesn't say explicitly is they're completely surrounded by the armies of Israel, like they're, they're trapped. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? He repeats it, because he's like, can I kill them? I really want to kill them. Can I just kill all of them, please? Verse 22, of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? This is great. Give them food and drink and send them again to their master. Just feed them, send them home. Verse 23. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. I bet. <laughs> All right. So let's recap. Two stories in the Bible that happen in Dothan. One, Joseph shows up in Dothan gets betrayed by his family, beaten up, chucked into a cistern, left for dead, but then sold into slavery. Number two, Elisha hangs out in Dothan, and God reveals all of the enemy's secrets, answers every prayer in dramatic and instantaneous fashion, and hands them an absolute victory without even trying and not a drop of bloodshed. Those are very different outcomes. Those are very different outcomes. Joseph, tough go for Joseph. The Bible doesn't say this, but I don't think I'm reading between the lines too much. I'm betting that Joseph was in the bottom of a cistern, bleeding and betrayed. I'm betting they asked God to intervene and like rescue him from that. I'm not sure, again, I don't want to read in it too much, but it doesn't feel like too much of a stretch to say that, like Elisha, he said, please. And that's not what happened. And then on the other hand, we have Elisha, and it seems that Elisha, it seems like he could have asked for anything at all. Like if God was answering my prayers that quickly and that immediately and that profoundly and dramatically, I think I would start asking for really ridiculous stuff just to see just to see. It seemed like anything he had, it all just worked out. It just worked out. Couldn't have been better. It is very interesting to me that these are the only two times we read about Dothan in the Bible, and it leads me to ask this question. What kind of place is Dothan? What are we talking about here? What kind of a place is Dothan? Here's what I would submit to you. I would submit to you that Dothan is a place of God's unwavering, unfailing, and absolute faithfulness to his people. Without exception. It's a place of God's faithfulness. 
You may say, well, what about Joseph? Well, if you're a Sunday school kid, then you know the story, right? You, you know that Joseph was, in fact, not abandoned on that day. We know that his prayers actually were heard, and God's promises were all kept, and the dreams all found their fulfillment and came to fruition, and it all worked out, and the answers all came. But not that day. Things just went from worse to worse to worse on that day in Dothan. But here's the thing. That was just a day in Dothan. On some days, God's faithfulness looks like triumph. It looks like chariots of fire and defeated enemies and miraculous interventions like we saw with Elisha. And on some days, God's absolute and unwavering faithfulness looks like betrayal and abandonment while you're bleeding alone in the bottom of a pit. That's Dothan. A place marked by the absolute faithfulness of God regardless of whether or not our prayers are answered in the moment. And, I mean, I think by and large we kind of know this, or at least I think mostly you, you probably already know what I'm driving at here. I mean, like, we know intuitively, I think, that like, a bad stretch in life doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. Like, we know that. We know that life has its ups and downs, and if you've been around for more than a minute, you've had quite a few of all of them, the ups and the downs. And we know that nobody anywhere floats through life unscathed, unmarred by all the ickiness of the world. We know that, and we know, um, in large part to Garth Brooks, we know that some of God's greatest gifts are actually unanswered prayers. So we know. We know. But here's the thing. Those things are really easy to believe on the good days, they're actually pretty easy to believe on the neutral days. It's really hard to believe those things on the bad days. It's just, you can know it, it just doesn't seem right. My point today is really simple. It's this, um, we're all in Dothan. This is Dothan. You're in Dothan. You have never not been in Dothan. You have never once not been in a place of God's absolute unwavering faithfulness to us, to you. And we are all in Dothan. We're all in a place that doesn't always look like winning. But that doesn't mean God isn't faithful. That's tough, but we know that. And today, some of the folks in the room, you're crushing it right now. Like, things are good. Maybe it's not like Elisha-level stuff, but things are working. They're coming together. You got momentum. You're picking up steam. Things are trending in the right direction. I like where you're going. For some of you, you're not there at all. For some of you, bleeding alone, betrayed in the bottom of a cistern. It's not a good day. For most of us, somewhere in between. And for all of us, God is absolutely faithful. He's faithful, guys. There's a new album coming out. They've released uh, just a few of the songs at this point uh, by We the Kingdom. I don't know if you know We the Kingdom, but they're really good. And we do some of their songs here. Um, but in one of their, I forget the name of the song, but in one of their songs on the tracks that they've released, there's this great line. It says, I'm, I may not know what the day will bring, but I know who brings the day. I'll preach. That's, that's some stuff right there. That is it. I may not know what the day will bring. I need a hanky. I, I may not know. If I, I can't do that style of preaching at all. But if I could, this would be the moment. I may not know what the day will bring, but I know who brings the day. That's really good. That'll preach. Hard to believe, though. 
depending on what the day brings. So with that in mind, I'll tell you about this weird thing, mental exercise that I do. Um, I'm kind of a quirky guy, a little weird, I know that. Um, and I am very future-oriented. I'm just my, I look ahead, I look ahead. And what that means is I actually really struggle to stay in, like, present in the moment. All right, my mind just wants to run off into the future. And, and the truth is, I don't have a nostalgic bone in my body. Like, I don't look back unless I just do it out of sheer, I know I'm supposed to. So, and it's good. It's a good practice to look back and reflect. I just don't do it naturally. I do it because I'm supposed to do it, all right? And, and not much. Usually, I'm looking way ahead. And for the most part, that's all fine. Uh, it's even helpful in a lot of ways. If you're trying to lead and looking ahead makes sense. Um, but if that is left unchecked in me, then I like miss out on a lot if I'm not mindful of that. Um, even in my prayers, I can be so future focused, I will miss what God's doing right in the moment. As I ask God, will you do this in the future? I'm not even mindful of the great things he's doing right now. So I tend to look ahead. So I know I have to fight against this in me. And so I have this quirky little spiritual exercise that I do. Um, and if you're willing to play along, I know that's a big if, but in a few minutes I'm going to ask you to join me and do this weird thing together. Um, so you're going to want to pay attention while I explain it. Oh, so here's what I do. Um, I picture myself all alone in my own personal little time machine. Okay? I said it was weird. Okay? It's a little weird. Picture myself in my own little time machine. And if you're trying to picture it along with me, I hope you're playing along. It looks very much like the inside of a vehicle that you would drive. I know that's not creative at all, but most of the time when I do this, I'm sitting in my truck. So that's kind of how it happens. It looks like the inside of a vehicle. And as I pretend to be sitting in my, my own little personal time machine, I take a couple of notes about things that are different about my, machine, my time machine versus, you know, the typical run-of-the-mill time machine. Mine's a little different. So a couple of things that make it different. Uh, number one on my time machine, uh, the rear view mirror comes standard, uh, but it has no reverse. Just I couldn't afford the, those are a lot more um, to get the ones that go backwards. So this one has a rear view mirror, so you can look backwards, but there's no reverse. There is no, there's no going backwards. That's not reality. It's not the world we're in. You can't go back. And then the second sort of weird thing about my time machine is that my time machine um, only moves forward and at regular speed. Uh, which I know is real dumb. Um, that that just means you're sitting alone in a car. That's all that means. Like you don't have a time machine. That's, if your time machine only goes forward and at regular speed, then that's ridiculous. And so the ridiculousness helps me. I do this admit, part, I'm partially amused by it. That's part of it. Um, but it has a way of really helping me and my quirky way of anchoring in the present, in this moment, by, by taking time to picture my time travel machine, it helps me connect to the reality that time machines aren't real. And it's sort of a ridiculous notion, and it's kind of silly of me to default to living in the future, or as many do, default to living in the past. Because the past is gone and unchangeable and the future lays out ahead and we're not there. We're never ever in either of those places. There's, a, there's something silly about time machines. 
The future is by no means guaranteed. The past has already been written. I know it's cliche. It also happens to be true. The present really is all that we have. And so I let my mind grab onto the ridiculousness of a time machine to help me anchor in this moment because I've never not been in this moment. It helps me. Maybe you've heard people, the expression, hey, don't just sit there, do something, right? In a moment, you know. For me, I have to be reminded of the reverse of that. Don't just do something, sit there. Be still, Aaron. Just anchor for a minute. Be here, be in this moment. You can look back if you need to, it's okay. There's a little rear view mirror there, that's fine. But there's a reason why you got a whole big windshield and a tiny little rearview mirror. I hope you about that. There's a reason for that. Because your time machine doesn't even go in reverse. So you might need to look back, but you don't need to focus there. And you cannot go speeding off into the future either. It's not an option. So Aaron, be where you are. Um, Arnold Bennett said something. I, this is helpful for me. He said, the chief beauty about time is that you cannot waste it in advance. Chief beauty about time is that you cannot waste it in advance. I think that's true. Can you imagine if you could? That would not be good. If time could be bought and sold like currency, <laughs> you imagine how far in debt most of us would be? Um, can you imagine how many of our worst moments we would have fast forwarded through? How many of our best moments we would stretch out and elongate and how pathetically weak we would all be as a result of that? It's good. I agree. There's a beauty that you cannot waste time in advance. The future always lays out ahead, unspoiled before us. I'm glad I would be so tempted to squander the future in service of the present. I'm actually really thankful that my dumb little time machine only goes forward and at regular speed. Um, and today in particular, I feel the desire to be everywhere but right here because it's our anniversary. And so that makes me want to look back. I'm not reflective at all, but I mean, it's your anniversary, I am. I want to look back and remember all the faithfulness of God and the good and, and, and also the hard and the joys and the pains and all of it. You know, God's been so remarkably faithful. And that's a good thing to do, by the way. Don't mishear me. I'm also in this particular moment, I'm, I especially want to look back way more than usual. Also, I don't know that I've ever been so eager to look ahead. There's so much cool stuff going on. Next week, by the way, we're giving you the rundown on all the stuff that's coming forward with the building and all the things. We, I just think we're surging ahead in so many ways. I don't think I've ever had so much anticipation about the future. I'm dying to run ahead. Um, and again, let me say it again. All that's good. It's good to look back. It's good to look ahead. It really is. It is not good, however, to do those things to the exclusion of the present, to the exclusion of this moment. I just want to point out, as I try to each week, this is not just another moment. We are gathered in sacred assembly now, in the presence of the Most High God, now. A God who in His Scripture, which we look to, leads us in all things, He makes it abundantly clear that He meets with us in a special way when we gather in His presence and worship Him. That's this moment right now it's a sacred assembly it's a special moment in the presence of God right now and right now I also want to remind you we're in Dothan right now we're in Dothan because you've never not been in Dothan right 
we are in a place where God is faithful. He's faithful when things are good. He's faithful when things aren't. He's faithful when we're good. He's faithful when we aren't. And in this moment, good moment or bad, whether you're personally doing well or not, he has something to say to you. In this moment, in his presence, he's our father. Why would we come into his presence and he not speak to us? So, anyway, I played the silly game. I'm in my little fake time machine. Finally, I have to do all this stuff for me to get anchored in the present reality in this moment. And in that moment, I ask myself, okay, here I am. I'm not looking ahead or behind. Who am I? And what do I believe? And what am I about? Like, what have I, what have I given my life to? Where's my focus set right now? What am I putting my hope in right now? What am I afraid of right now? What do I value in this moment? Not, not who I was, not who I hope to be, not as I anticipate the future or look back perhaps in shame. No, no, no. Right now, in this moment, as I sit here, what marks my life? Who am I? And then I do all that hullabaloo to get to there, and then what I want to do is call it done and then move right on. <laughs> But the hard part for me, at least, is to hold there for a bit, to not run past it, to be aware of where I'm at, to take genuine stock of what's happening in my life, the direction that I'm facing, the values that are shaping me, where my hopes are. And then here's the thing, if I see something good in that evaluation, then I have this fearful thing that wants to protect that and hold on to it for the future. I'm looking ahead. I have to stop. If I see something bad that I want to change, well, then I look back in shame. I've got this shameful thing that goes, well, now I have this bad thing and I want to change that in the future. And I, you know, that's me. I got to anchor. And so I remind myself, don't just do something, Aaron. Sit here. And finally, I ask, once I'm here and I'm, I'm actually anchored in this moment alone, I say, okay. King Jesus, my Savior, what would you have me to do? Here I am. I know where I'm at. I know who I am. I know what I'm valuing. I know the place that I am. I'm anchored where I'm anchored. King Jesus, God of love, what would you have me do? What's the thing that you would like to say to me that I'm just not able to hear unless I'm fully anchored now? in this moment. And that becomes the conclusion. Where very often, not always, but very often the Lord speaks. So, here's what we're going to do. David's going to come help me out. I'm hoping you guys are willing to play along. I want us to try that. I know it's weird. Play along. It's our anniversary. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I think for the vast majority of us, that will be the most helpful posture to take. If that just doesn't work for you or you're uncomfortable or that makes your mind wander more and not less, then look around. It's fine. But it's a good place to start. For most of it, I think that will help. 
And again, if you're willing to play along with the silliness of this, I just want to encourage you to imagine, there you are, in your own little time machine, looking a lot like the interior of a vehicle. Note a couple of things about it. Notice that there is a rear view mirror. It's very small, but it's there. But keep in mind, this time machine doesn't go in reverse. Guys, you don't get to go backwards. You, you just... It's hard, it's hard, because the past sometimes is a mess, but we don't get to go back and undo the mess. So we should anchor in the present. Keep in mind also that your time machine only goes forward and at regular speed. You don't get to race ahead into the future. You never get to skip the moment that you're in. So you might as well be in that moment and anchor in right here. And as you look out that big windshield in front of you, I just want to encourage you to notice, there you are, two wells, central Israel, you're in Dothan. You are in a place where the faithfulness of God is absolute, unwavering, never failing. He loves you completely, fully, absolutely. He is your king. He delights in you. You are the apple of his eye. He is faithful. If this is the worst moment of your life, if this is the best moment of your life, anywhere in between, this is Dothan. A place of the unwavering, absolute faithfulness of God. And with that in mind, discipline your heart, your soul, and anchor in this moment. You're here, the present. There's a time to look back. There's a time to look ahead. It's just not now. This moment. And now that you're here, who are you? What do you believe? What are you about? What do you really value? What really captivates your heart and mind throughout the course of a day? That's what's got your heart. What do you really value? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you about? What's the trajectory of your life? What do you value? Anchor in. Resist the temptation to look ahead or behind. Right now. This moment. Where are you? What are you? What do you value? Keep fighting to stay anchored in this moment. Don't forget that you're in Dothan, place of God's faithfulness, regardless of what this day holds for you. He's faithful. finally, as we do a private exercise, but in the midst of a corporate gathered assembly in the presence of God, ask simply this, King Jesus, what would you have me to do?
In what way does he want to direct you in this moment? Maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's an encouragement. Also, right now, I want you to have the faith to believe that it can be both. A challenge can be an encouragement at the same time. What, what he, might he, in this moment, turn up and turn down? How would he twist the dials in your world? Let's turn these things down. Let's turn these things up. Let's turn this off. Let's turn this on.